0: We are finishing up our series called, uh, called That's Not Right, and what this whole thing has been about, it's when God doesn't make sense, and we've looked at the book of Habakkuk, and what I've said about it, I know some people are going, I didn't even know that book was in the Bible, but it's a, it's a little book that asks some really big questions, and it starts off with Habakkuk coming to God, basically asking a question I think many of us ask all the time, and it's, God, where are you in all this? It seems like the world is just in chaos, and it seems like, God, that the good people are having to endure the things that the evil people are putting out there, and God, shouldn't you put a stop to all these things? Where are you? How long is this going to go on? When are you going to do something about this? Now, the amazing thing about this little book is that God actually answers Habakkuk, and He answers Habakkuk in a way that none of us would expect, and honestly, Habakkuk didn't expect it, and as a matter of fact, God even said, well, you're not even going to believe it when I say it, but here's the truth, Habakkuk, is that this isn't only going to continue. It's actually going to get worse, and so all this bad stuff that's happening, you know, actually, there's a new nation that's rising up, and it's called the Chaldeans in here, the Babylonians, and they're going to come, and they're actually going to take the people of God, and they're going to put them in captivity. They're going to lead them away. They're going to come and just ravage the land and take over everything. <laughs> well, then Habakkuk comes back to God and says, I have another question then. Why? Why in the world would you let this stuff happen? And, and here's what happens. We really get to see a glimpse of what Habakkuk is saying is, God, there's some things that I know to be true about you, but what I see happening in the world doesn't add up with what I know to be true about you. And so I don't really know what to do with all these things. And so God answers Habakkuk again, and, and this is the really interesting thing that he says, and this is all of chapter 2, basically. He says, look, these people are going to come in power, but their power's not going to last because their power is going to be built on their, their own way of thinking and their own way of doing things. It's eventually going to lead to their own ruin, and what they had was they had a material failure. The, the Babylonians believed that they could collect enough stuff or have enough riches to say that I don't need anything else. I don't need anybody else. Well, that wasn't true. And then they had a moral failure where when they came into power, they thought, well, since we're in power, then we should just pass laws that what we think is right and wrong. And there's really no moral authority greater than us since we're the greatest power on the planet. And so if they thought it was the right or the wrong thing to do, then that's what the right thing to do was. Well, that was part of their downfall. And then to top it all off, they had a spiritual flaw and they, they worshiped things that were not God. They worshiped created things instead of the Creator, which is a theme that happens, honestly, all throughout Scripture. Something that we should all learn from is that at times we get distracted worshiping the things of God instead of worshiping God Himself. I'm going to say that again. There's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. We see it several times. And we saw it in the previous chapter here, is that sometimes people get distracted and they worship the things of God instead of God himself. And it's something that we want to look a little bit closer at today. We get to the third chapter, we're closing this up, and it's really Habakkuk's response to this dialogue that's happened between him and the Lord. And here's what we need to understand, just to put this into context. When God moves, I must respond. That's just something that happens. We've talked about this book starts with Habakkuk looking at the world going, God, where are you in all this? Why is this going on? And along the way, the way that God responds to Habakkuk, he begins to see light in the darkness. He begins to see God's hand at work. And the difficult thing that God even said to Habakkuk is, I'm going to take care of all this, but not in your lifetime. How about that? That's not a response that any of us want to hear hey, I'm going to deal with everything that you said need to be dealt with, just not on your timeline. It's like, well, God, what about me? You know. And and so when Habakkuk hears this, he's got a decision to make, and, and he sees that God is moving, and then he's able to actually come back and see perspective on this big question that he asked, and here's the deal. God never answered his question. God never said, well, here's how I'm going to resolve all this. He just said, look, I'm working, and you need to trust that I'm working and that I'm big enough for this and so Habakkuk begins to see the light in the dark places and he comes to this response in verse in chapter 3 it says a prayer according to the prophet Habakkuk Lord I have heard the report about you Lord I stand in awe of your deeds revive your work in these years Make it known in these years, and in your wrath, remember mercy. Whoa, whoa, what's he saying? Okay, Habakkuk is saying, okay, I hear what you're doing. I see what's going on in the world. God, you've given me perspective. And this phrase here, in your wrath, remember mercy, Habakkuk somehow has come to this place where he says, okay, as we endure the difficult things that are going to happen, just remember us in your mercy. And you might think that he's just kind of depressed about this, but no, we're going to actually get into this where he is encouraged because he's able to see God at work. You see, what began is when, when Habakkuk first started, he came to God like oftentimes we all come to God because we want God to do something for us. God, will you do something about this? Will you do something for me? God, will you do something here? And we get caught up in, in what God, God himself, what, what I want done, and all these type of things. And we get caught up in the things of God instead of God himself. But actually, have you ever thought about what it means to actually be a follower of Christ? You know, it's difficult at times, right, to explain to all of us when we start talking what being a follower of Christ is. Because there's something that happens to all of us. When we start talking to somebody about who they are, who are you, we ask somebody this question, who are you? Now, I love to play golf. Many of you know that. I enjoy it, even though it beats me up. Okay, it's okay. I enjoy it. I punish myself with it quite often. And when you're walking around with people on the golf course that you don't know, inevitably the question comes up, well, what do you do? And it's like we don't know any other question to ask anybody else in their life about who they are, we always start with this question of, what do you do? And then we have this natural tendency to want to answer that by listing all the things that we do. Well, I do this for my work, and I do this at home, and I like this hobby, and I got this. And somehow we think that who we are is made up in the list of things that we do. And sometimes we confuse those things, and we think my only value in life comes through the things that I am able to do. And then sometimes we push that on to God, and we think that God's only value for us is in the things that he can do. And then we get caught up in this race of saying, well, what it means to be a Christian is this list of things that I have to do. And you know what? That's not what it is at all. What, the, the essence of being a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, is that we get to become his child. We are adopted into his family. Sin has separated us from God so that he he can no longer have relationship with us because we are sinful and he is not. But he sent Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice on the cross for our sinfulness so that we can be in relationship restored with him and then we become his child and then that's who we are. And then everything that we do after that is a result of who we are. Hear me on this. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you can do a lot of things to impress God. Trust me, God's not impressed. I've tried, okay? It's just, you don't. You can't build up enough things. You can't do enough things. You can't do anything that's going to earn your way to God. You either accept the gift of Jesus Christ and become his child or you reject the gift and you live on your own. You're at work. And even kind of where Habakkuk has landed with God of saying, hey, you're at work. And even in the wrath of things, just be merciful. And so we understand that it's in being a follower of Christ that everything else begins to happen. That's one thing that I believe happens between the first question and the, and the last statement of Habakkuk because he's come to this place where he begins to understand, God, I'm not going to understand everything you're doing. I'm not going to have it all in place, and it's certainly not going to happen on my timeline or in the way I would do it, because you've got a much bigger picture of things, how you're working on this. And so, God, I need to find my peace and my comfort in just being yours. And anything that I do after that is just a response to that type of relationship. You see, There's something that happens in this book. It happens in a couple of other books in Scripture where you get to see it real plainly. And that's the answer to the question is simply God showed up. You don't get to say, well, what happened with that or how did he work that? Well, this is all that happened. God showed up. You may or may not be familiar with the book of Job. In the book of Job, it is a story about a man who had everything and then he was a a follower of Christ. He lost everything, and even in the midst of that, he did not sin, but he had a lot of questions for God. He had a list of questions for God that he asked, and he was venting to his friends, and he was, you know, and he even said at one point in time in the book, I wish that someone could just mediate between me and God, that we could just go to court and settle this and just go, okay, God, what's going on? And you know what happens? God shows up. And answers exactly zero of Job's questions. Zero. He just shows up and starts asking some questions of his own, like, hey, where were you when I put the earth on its foundation? (laughs) Job goes, hmm. Hey, where were you when I set the sun and the moon and stars in place? Hmm. And and, and what happens with Job and what happens with Habakkuk and and, and what happens with other people in Scripture is the, the thing that we begin to see is that the answer is we just need God to show up. And God's presence then changes everything. God's presence changes everything. I want to give some examples from this. We're going to talk a little bit more about it as we go on. But first of all, let me point this out. Habakkuk chapter 3, starting in verse 3. When God's presence shows up, the first thing that happens is God's presence brings God's glory. Now, you all might be thinking, well, what's the big deal about God's glory? Well, remember the first question? that, that uh, Habakkuk had. God, where are you in all this stuff? I see all these things happening in the world. Well, look at how he responds now. He says, God comes from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Did you notice that God's answer was still, I'm raising up these people who are going to come and actually just devastate Jerusalem and take all the people off in captivity. And Habakkuk's first question was, God, where are you? And now he's saying, with that answer in mind, he's saying, God in all his splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise and his brilliance is like light. Did did the circumstance change? No there's God. So what happened? Did, did the circumstance change? No, the heart changed. And Habakkuk was actually able to say, there's not all this doing that needs to happen. I just need to be God. And see, God, we don't necessarily like to say this sometimes because it's hard for this to, to set in our brain. But can I just tell you this? God is all about his glory. And I know some of you are going, well, what do you mean? That sounds kind of selfish. No, here's the deal. God is about his glory. And the things that are done by us and by God for his glory, we get to benefit from. And the more that we live our lives to glorify God, then the more that we get to benefit of being a child of God and living in his glory. And you see, sometimes when God's glory shows up in scripture, it's not necessarily a, yay, God's glory showed up. Most of the time when God shows up in his glory, we see a lot of people going, "Uh uh-oh, God's here. You know, the book of Isaiah, He starts off, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord in his temple high and lifted up. And he goes on to this description of how Isaiah is in the temple and he's doing things. And God shows up. God's presence shows up. And his response was not, yay, God's here. Isaiah's response was, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He basically said, God's here and now I realize exactly how unworthy I am. You flip all the way to the back of the book. You go to Revelation, you see God show up, Jesus shows up to John in person, and John falls down like a dead man. It's not, hey, Jesus, it's been a while since I've seen you. I was one of your disciples. It's, I'm just dead because God showed up in all his glory. There's something that happens when the glory of God is lifted up that will change our perspective on things real fast, real fast. And so the first thing that we see in this passage is that God's presence brings his glory. And when we see God's glory, our perspective begins to change. And it's not just God's glory that shows up. God shows up in his presence, and he shows up in power as well. We pick up the story in verse 5, and it's just a demonstration of now where Habakkuk was first asked in the question, where are you, God, in all this, and what are you going to do? Now he gives this description of God moving in power, and he says this. Plague goes before him and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Cushion in distress and the tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or your rage against the sea? When you ride on your horses your victorious chariot? You took the sheath from your bow, and the arrows are ready to be used with an oath. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. Deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence. At the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear, you march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses stirring up the vast water. <laughs> God can. This is what you need. God can. When God shows up in power, it's a picture of power like nobody else has. And that's where Habakkuk had landed on is, okay, God, I, I, I have a little glimpse of what you're doing and you are coming in power. And even when I don't see how you're at work, I am getting a glimpse of that you are at work and your power is incredible and it can accomplish anything that you say that it will. Does anybody need that word of hope today? Does anybody need to understand that God can? That there is nothing in your life that you're facing that God can't overcome if you will turn your heart to him? Pastor, is that gonna be easy? No, no. Pastor, will that happen tomorrow? Maybe not. But if you will turn your heart to God and follow him and trust in his way, you will see him in his glory, and he will begin to move in power. The answer that Habakkuk had from God was, I'm going to do these things, but you're not even going to see it. It's not even going to be in your lifetime. And we trust, though, that God can still move and work in power in our lives. So then, that brings us to the next place here, where it's not just God's Glory, and it's not just God's power. When God's presence shows up, He brings awe. Look at this passage. This is my lips quivered at the word, and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against. The people invading us. What's he saying there? <laughs> He's saying when God actually showed up in his presence, it, it, it wasn't this warm, it was this realization of just exactly how righteous God is and just exactly how sinful I am. Now, I, I, I've said this several times in Bible studies and other places. I don't think God wants any of us walking around all the time going, I'm just a sinner. I'm going to eat some dirt, you know, and just, I'm not going to do anything. But we absolutely need to understand the depth of our sinfulness if we're going to understand the depths of God's grace and God's love. When we choose to just say that we're just only going to talk about God's love and we're going to ignore the fact that there is God's wrath and, and there is a coming judgment of God and it's my sinfulness that has caused that, and we, we tend to ignore the, the, the grace of God because of that. It's not as big when we don't understand how much we need it. Habakkuk started off by saying, God, you need to do something about those people over there. Because those people are bad people. and We're good people. And because those bad people are doing things, us good people are having to endure stuff. But now he's saying, when God showed up, rottenness entered my bones. And I realized, hey, I'm one of them. And God, I need you. And I need you to move in power. And, and I am just in awe of the fact that, that you love me. And I'm in awe of the fact that you're moving. And, and he talks about, then just I'm just going to get quiet. It's going to be quiet and wait for you to work and wait for you to move. That is a sense of awe. But then there's one more thing, and it's where I want to spend just a little bit of time this morning. When God's presence shows up, it brings comfort. When God's presence shows up, it also brings comfort. Now, I'm just going to say this. You either are or have been or are going to go through something in your life that's just incredibly difficult. Amen? Why? Because we live in a broken world. Because we live in a world of people who follow God and people who don't follow God. And because we live in a world where sin has separated us from God, broken. We live in a broken world. We have God, though there are those of us who are striving to follow God, and then the world's just broken. We live in a broken world. We have hope and we know from God's word that one day he's coming back, and he's going to redeem it, and he's going to set all things right. And if you're curious about what do you mean by setting all things right, just go back to the first book and read it. When it started, all things were right. God had put all things in place. He said it was good. But then sin broke all of those things. And this whole timeline that we're living in is because of God's patience to invite and to draw people to himself. But in the midst of God's patience, we're having to endure some really difficult things. Death still happens. Hate still happens. Difficulties happen. Greed, envy, lust. All these things are a part, a real part of the world that we live in. And they they hurt us. And there's going to be at some point in time that we're going to need to understand how do I resolve these things? How do I deal with this hurt and this pain in the world? Let me just tell you something. When God's presence shows up, it's the only thing that brings comfort. Let me tell you why. Answers do not bring comfort. Only God's presence brings comfort. What are you saying? Okay, Habakkuk, the little book with big questions, he started off with really big questions for God. The answers that God gave Habakkuk really didn't comfort him, did they? But yet he's comforted at the end of this book. Why? Because God is with him. You know, the first time that I heard that phrase used in such a succinct way, it was from a friend of mine who was going through the process of losing their child to cancer. And in conversation about where is God in all this, he He's the one that said that phrase first. He says, Lindell, here's what I've discovered. Answers aren't going to bring me comfort. Only God's presence brings me comfort. He said, God could sit down at the table and explain to me why this happened and every possible good that could come out of it, and I will not be comforted. He said, I will just go, I have more questions. And then God could answer all those questions, and I would go, yeah, but I've got more questions. He said, the only thing that brings comfort in a situation like that is the presence of God. And so that's what we need to understand. It's not about what we do that impresses God and somehow earns our way to heaven. It's about being his child. It's about being his. And then by choosing to be his child and to follow his ways, then we live out our faith as a light in this dark and broken world. And then we understand that we're not going to be able to answer every question. And even if we could, that wouldn't really help anybody. The only thing that can help people is when God shows up, when God's presence shows up in their life. Listen to how the whole thing comes to an end for Habakkuk, starting in verse 17. After all these difficult questions, after all this dialogue with God, this is where he lands. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there's no fruit on the vines, and though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. For the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. And he makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on the mountain heights. What Habakkuk eventually lands on is what you and I need to land on is that it's God's presence that's the greatest thing. The greatest blessing that I can ever receive is the presence of God in my life. Not for him to answer all my questions. But the greatest blessing I can ever receive is the presence of God in my life. And that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Not that all things in this world are going to be set right. We're still going to look at this world and go, that's not right. There's some things that aren't going to make sense. But if you want to be able to walk in this world and enjoy peace and comfort and direction and hope, even in the midst of the highs and the lows of life, what you need to strive for more than anything else in your life is God's presence and being his child. He's given us the opportunity to do that because he's given us the person of Jesus Christ. Why, why did we need that? I, I, I shared it earlier, but let me just share it again. When sin entered the world, it broke our relationship with God, and God is not able to tolerate sin of any kind. You know, we tend to look at things and say, well, my sin's not as bad as their sin, as bad as this sin, but no, God cannot tolerate any sin, and so something had to be done for us to be restored in a right relationship with God so that we could be His. And so that's why Jesus Christ came and laid down his life as a sacrifice so that we could be restored in a relationship with God so that we could be his. And it's only from having that relationship and residing in his presence that then the way that you live and the things that you do have meaning. So if maybe you feel like you've been running this race trying to be good enough or trying to get everything right, can you just take a breath and relax? And first of all, focus on just acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and asking him to be Lord of your life and accept him and become his child. And then as you begin to live your life, just seek the way that God wants you to do it. And he'll direct you in what to do and where to go. And as you walk through the hills and valleys of life, you will have someone who will lead and guide the way. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I man, sometimes I think it might be easier to sell. I'm not trying to sell anything. It might be easier to sell if I were able to say, man, if you'll give your life to God, everything will be good in life. But that's just not true. That's not a picture we have in Scripture. If you'll give your life to Christ, then, you know, everything that you want to happen will happen. That's just not true. But what I can tell you is that if you will give your life to Christ, if you will know and follow him, you will become his child. And you will find peace and comfort and power and joy and hope in the midst of a broken world. And that is the way that you can live life. And so when you look at this crazy world of ours and think, I don't know why everything goes that way, you don't have to worry about it because you can realize that God's in charge of it all.